the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. Eight of the top ten Irish companies choose to do business with us. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. This is Wednesday, March 4th. I'm Kieran Hancock and on this week's show we'll be looking at events at the Geneva Motor Show and the Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. What developments should we expect from motor manufacturers in the years ahead and what are the latest tech gadgets that will be coming our way? We'll start first of all uh, with Geneva and Michael McAleer, the motoring editor of the Irish Times, was there for us. Uh, Michael, welcome to the show. Um, I understand from our little chat beforehand that supercars are back. Tell us all about that. That's the key. I mean, there's a real positive vibe for the first time in in years at the Geneva Motor Show. And I've been trotting out to this shindig for the last decade or more than a decade. And over the last few years, it's been really grim because the car industry was one of the ones, being a big consumer product, it takes a massive hit when the economy oh, takes a nose. Oh, we've had right across Europe. Yeah, but everybody's picking up and there's there's a real positive vibe about it. And the back of that, you're seeing the car companies starting to come back and have some fun. And as a petrol head myself, you love to see the supercars. We're never, I'm never going to be able to afford it, but you do love to see a new Bugatti, as there wasn't, but Bentley supercars. You get to see the new Porsche came in GT4, a car that does not to 100 uh, kilometres an hour in less than 2.8 seconds. That sort of thing really excites those petrol heads. We know we're never going to own them, but it's great to see because it shows the innovation and the detail and the engineering that goes into those cars seeps down to your little Suzuki eventually as well. And did you get the test drive or did you just get no, to No, they're all parked cars at car shows, I'm afraid. Right, OK. Um, so what caught your eye? Well, it depends. At the top end, you've got, as I mentioned, the Porsche Cayman GT4. You have the likes of the Koenigsegg, uh, which is a hybrid powertrain that you can plug in. It's 1,750 brake horsepower. So those sort of things are at the top end, the, the glory cars, the poster things for teenage bedroom walls. But the cars that people are buying, the new Skoda Superb is really impressive. There's going to be a new Suzuki Swift coming down the tracks, and they showed the concept there at the, at the motor show. It's beautiful. And Renault showed the Cadger, it's a terrible name, but it's actually their take on the Nissan Qashqai, and Renault and Nissan are the same company. So they've effectively taken the engines and the chassis, rebadged it as a Renault. They get the pricing right in that. That'll do well for them because they're desperately in need of a new car to really push the market, particularly here in Ireland as well. But there was a real buzz about the fact that the European economy is picking up. What's holding them back is Russia. And they weren't expecting that. And the BRICs, ultimately, on a global level, Brazil is is in the pan. Russia's really suffering. Markets down 28%. The ruble taking a nosedive has really hit them as well because most of the parts, if not if they have production plants in, in Russia, like St. Petersburg and stuff, they're importing quite a lot of the stuff in there. So that it hits them all the way through. India's okay, it's middling. Uh, China, they were always expecting double-digit growth and that was, they based all their plans for the next 10 years because the, the motor industry, unlike the, the fickleness of the Mobile World Congress, motor industry takes a massive fixed asset cost. You know, you build a plant, the suppliers have to build plants around it. It's a huge development time frame coming into the motor industry and that takes a lot of planning. They've been planning on the basis that there's double-digit growth in the, in the Chinese market. Chinese market's down to single-digit. Everybody else would think that's fantastic, the economy's doing well. They were, they, they're oversupplying the market and that's something that's hanging over Europe as well. That's, they're selling 13 million cars in Europe last mm. year, but we've, they're producing 15 million. What about Ireland? Is the supercar making a comeback in Ireland? <laughs> no, it'll be a while before the, you're going to see. I mean, realistically, you're not going to see many of those cars back in Ireland. Yeah. Though I did, I did notice a Lamborghini on O'Connell Bridge last yeah. week, so that's a good sign. Yeah. Uh, it was an 08, mind you. But the... What would that set you back? 
a Lamborghini in mm. Ireland, would you have to bring it in? You'd be talking, you wouldn't get much change out of 300 if you were doing if you're buying the right one at the right time. Uh, the Aventador that they launched in 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 uh, Geneva this week, uh, the Super Veloce version, that would would be easily touching that sort of money. But you know, there are people in niches out there who get that. And there's car collectors in Ireland who have have those sort of cars, and there's you know they love the the petrolhead. Sometimes the big thing for them is to get the first one and get an early version of it. And that's why most of these cars have limited uh, sales supply. Right. Okay. Now there's been a push to to make greener cars mm. of recent years, more efficient cars, uh, particularly as fuel prices have been rocketing. Fuel prices have actually eased over yeah. the past twelve months or so, and it, it looks like that's going to be a short-term feature at least. So has the move to green, has that is that continuing or uh, it, it is it easing is. off somewhat? It is. And every corner you went to, you, there was always, you know, the requisite car with the plug lead hanging out of it. But in reality, some a lot of that is dressing window dressing for press days as well. But there is a necessity there. And the oil price we were asking, and I was asking quite a lot of the execs about, you know, the impact of the falling oil price. They dismiss it because most of the, what they're working towards are EU regulations and standards that are set for 2018, 2020. And those have to be met regardless of what the oil price is, and they're based on emissions. So you have to lower your emissions and your fuel economy anyway. And whether the oil price goes up or not and catches the public's attention, they still have to meet those EU targets. It's helpful for supercars salespeople if the, the fuel price is, uh, is low. But realistically, if you're spending over 100 grand on a car, really you're not going to be that fickle whether, whether a few cents on a litre of petrol. Yeah. yeah. Now, increasingly, there's a... a, a Convergence, if you like, between motor manufacturers and technology com- companies like Apple and Google have been talking about um, perhaps doing their own cars, um, self-drive cars, uh, etc. What did you see in Geneva? Well, it wasn't visible. I mean, there's no Apple stand and there's no Google stand out there. But the thing is, the car companies work with them. And again, we were asking the various execs, what's the level of interaction? And now they're fearful because Apple would obviously, be, particularly at the premium segment, uh, would be moving in. The The key thing there would be that... that um, they're working with those companies. They're not that fearful of them because in many ways they, they see an Apple car realistically is a, quite a way down the road. They're talking about 2020, but it takes seven years for a car from from a design to actually on the road on a forecourt. So because you have to build a factory, you have to do the supply chain. They also test it, exactly. test it and all that. Then when it comes, Apple would have to then provide a dealer network. And then with the dealer network, unlike your mobile phone and your computer, when you go to buy a new car, you drop in your old one and that's a problem. So they have to wash that out. And part of the price you pay for your car through the dealer, the business model is built on what they can make on the sale of the, of the resale of the used car. And Apple doesn't, I don't guess, doesn't want to have to carry a large number of used car stocks from, from other manufacturers. That's a completely different business model. It would make far more sense for the Googles, and I suspect this is what it really is about, for the Googles and Apple to work on the self-driving me- uh, software and work with the manufacturer who has the pipeline in place, be it a Tesla or whatever. Tesla is a good example, but it's small, small volume. They can do that. The self-driving car front in reality, you're not going to see it automated all the way through where you can go to the pub or read a book on your way to work, not for the foreseeable future. But in the next decade, you may well see an element of self-drive on motorways where it's nice and safe as you're driving down the road. It's just a convoy of cars. It's a controlled environment. The, already the technology is there. You've got adaptive cruise control, which limits the speed. To, it sends out a little beam. I mean, this is on sale in, most, in many mainstream cars as an option these days. It sends out a beam, maintains the speed of the car in front, so you're in a, in a tunnel. Lane-keeping assistance systems on everything from a panda all the way through, it maintains you, it monitors the lanes and keeps you within the lanes and the cars. So you have that ability to self-drive. And I've, I've driven in cars or I've been driven by the cars on motorways at speeds of 120 and more on autobans um, with the car doing all the driving because it's, it's a nice, clean momentum. It's when you get into cities with dogs, cyclists, cats, 
kids, everybody else interacting. Plus then you've got high-rise buildings so the GPS signal is going in and out. That's when it's really hard for the car companies to maintain a, um, a constant feed of information with the car and that's where they st- they're reckon there's going to be real delays in that and that's where people probably want it most. And in terms of the self-drive cars, do you think they're going to become ubiquitous or is it just going to be for the high end of the market? No, I mean, they'll be ubiquitous because ultimately all the things with tech, if you look in the, uh, at everything that's been developed from technology in terms of cars... From the seatbelt onwards. Yeah, exactly. Well, this, well the seatbelt was Volvo, but that, that's a good example. The, the, I mean, um, all the fuel saving, uh, fuel economies, a lot of the stuff, Bugatti were showing there, and they finished the last fair on. 450 of the cars, last one was sold for 2.7 million, and they showed the last car there. Bugatti... Now, every car they sold, they lost over two million on. So that just makes it makes your mind boggle as to why they bothered to do it. But Volkswagen funded that company because the engineering and the developments they made on that car have seeped all the way down to the latest Polo. It takes five or ten years, but you will see the self-driving technologies there. If they bring it all together, they'll introduce at the top end because those customers will pay for the initial f- uh, fixed uh, costs that they've invested in it. And then as it rolls out, you get the economies of scale from the mass mass production. And that's what that's effectively the business model of the motor industry. High startup fixed costs at the beginning, and you just wash them out over the over the first four years, and then you profit in for the next three. And I think Pamela mentioned that at the uh, Congress she's had in Barcelona, Volvo and Ericsson are working together on helmets for bikes yeah any was there any visibility on that and do you well, need any sense of where that's going there's there, uh, we've reported on that in the past on the, um, on the fact that Volvo have been working on this sort of sensor system but Volvo in itself have made this pretty brave promise and they were continuing to make that at the moment that nobody will be killed by or in or seriously injured in a Volvo by 2020 which is a very brave claim. And when they first made it to us back two years ago, I remember speaking to the chief executive at the time going, it's a nice thing to have because you're not going to be here to, to make that. You're, you're just uh, given a hospital pass to, to the next chief executive. But this is no, this is a commitment. We're riding it all the way through. And the owners, the Chinese now, are sticking by this claim. And they reckon with the mix of self-drive, which also means uh, there's a protection element to it that the computer takes over because human error is the main cause of crashes, that that will ultimately lead to a, a bigger, uh, a greater safe road safety element. So there was quite a bit of talk on that. But I mean, one of the key things to think about it, uh, when you're talking about self-driving is if you want it back, to, uh, would, if the car was introduced today, the governments allow every human being or people out there to go out and take charge of something that can do 140, 150 kilometres an hour and drive it around in urban environments with people walking around and only having to pass one test when they're 17 and they can drive it for the rest of their lives. It seems like a, me- a mental uh, expectation mm. at this stage and yet it's taken as a social norm now. So the idea and the impl- implications of self-drive could be very significant for society and could ultimately save a lot of lives because it is human error that causes 90% of the crashes. So will people still be required to have a license when they get into a self-drive car? That's, I mean, this is the, these are all the questions that have to be answered in terms of legislation. Mm-hmm. I think they will. Somebody has to take lead of the car because, as we were saying earlier, uh, one of the biggest issues is what happens when the self-driving car is there, you're reading your book and it heads towards the ditch. You know, when the guard arrives, do you say, you better ring Tim Cook, this apple is bro- broken down, you know? Mm-hmm. Don't be coming to me, I'm mm-hmm. just a passenger. Somebody has to take responsibility because it is, it's not like your computer breaking down, this thing can kill you. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure, sure. Now, talk to us about trends in the Irish motor market this year. It's been a good start to the year for uh, for, for the car companies, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been great. Uh, I mean, there's a real positivity there. There's still a little bit of trickery going on in terms of pre-regging, and that's an old trick uh, 
because the explain to us exactly what pre-regging is. Oh, this is this is send your your listeners to sleep. But basically, the pre-regging is is about where a car company realizes that they can't sell the car at that particular price. The volume, it's it's, it's your old economic uh, supply and demand graph. They've got more supply than they or more de- uh, supply than they have for demand at that price, so they have to lower the price. They don't want to lower the price because it impacts on residuals. And it, if you keep fluctuating your prices all over the place, so the way they do it is they register the car the, to the dealer. The dealer then sells it off as a new used low mileage demo model. You'll find a dealer have a lot of used, certain models in their fleet that will have a lot of uh, demos in that particular car park. Right. And then they can sell it at a discount and it washes through. So that's the way that happens, in, particularly in downturns and it keeps the supply chains going because if you wind it back to the factory again, the factory is churning out X thousand cars a week and your job is to keep that, that pipeline going to the market. So you can't switch the factory off, but you can you can actually lower the price and dump it out on the marketplace. So that's what's washing out. There's a bit of that still residual difference from the recession. But you're seeing that there's real sales coming out there. There's a real interest. The footfall in dealers, anecdotally, is really strong. Uh, the big brands are, are, are doing well. It's an, it's an interesting concept insofar as, or snapshot, insofar as everything stopped for about four or five years. And the landscape has dramatically changed. So when we left it back in 2008 and switched off the lights in some dealerships, you know, there was the big two. There was um, Volkswagen coming up there, but it was all about Toyota and Ford. Now Volkswagen are number one, have been for a couple of years. Ford are number two. Toyota are fighting to, to stay in that area. So are Ford. Um, but the Koreans are there. The Hyundais, the Kias are really rocking up there. So your, your, your other brands like your Renaults, your Peugeots and the rest have sort of fallen off the radar. And as people only go to shop now, having worried about mortgages and worried about everything else in their life, when they go out to buy their new car now, um, the, the brands that trip off their tongue will be different than the ones that would have several years ago. And likewise, the perception of certain brands, like Skoda is now a highly reputable brand. You know, years ago, it was a bit of, uh, it was always seen as the bargain, but it's not anymore. Uh, the key is in the hand is they're no longer seen as the budget options either. There's new budget options like Dacia. So the landscape has dramatically changed. The dealers have to change with that. And the punters have to, are, are looking at it. They're looking for different things in their cars. Back to the technology. More and more, I think people are really surprised with the sort of level of tech that they're encountering now since they, some people left the market in 2006 and moved off from cars, drove the same car since then. They're coming into cars now and they see that the average car that they, they can buy has got technology features like electronic brakes, like uh, it's legally acquired to have stability control, all these things. And they're fascinated by it. I think people are inter- catching, re- are renewing their interest in cars. So what do you think will be the biggest selling brands this year? It'll be Volkswagen. I think it'll be, it'll be the Golf, three. as you. Uh, in terms of brand, it'll be Volkswagen. It'll be, I think it'll still be Volkswagen. In terms of model, I think Golf and Focus will fight it out. Uh, Passat is doing really strong for uh, for Volkswagen as well. It's European Car of the Year. It got elected in, in, in Geneva. Um, so those are the models that will sell. But uh, I think that some of the, the Hyundais will, will still be there or thereabouts, and they've got an interesting portfolio of models as well. So they're pulling in a lot of punters. And, and of course, the Koreans are offering very long warranties, aren't they? Yeah, that's a big incentive. I mean, the, the warranty thing is 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 a is a marketing uh, element as well. It should be you know some of their budget is spent on insurance. You, any car company can do that. Anybody can do that. I mean, dealers buy a year warranty whenever they offer it. So they've gone out and they've used some of their marketing budget to insure to go to and you know a big reinsure the, the Zurichs and the rest of them, and they buy a, a guaranteed warranty for the cars. So that's when they spend that and they, they buy that off. Uh, okay. And just going back to your original point about the supercars being back, um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because there still is a lot of austerity talk right across Europe. I mean, you even take out the Russian factor. Yeah. Just in the Eurozone alone, and you take Greece and Cyprus and so on, there's a lot of talk about austerity. Um, still not going to be a lot of unemployment. And yet, the motoring industry is uh, is perking up. Yeah, I mean... Th- 
the industry is up. I mean, even in Spain, the Spanish figures for the start of the year, Spain is up 28, 29%. So that sort of level of recovery is really strong. People still look at it as a mode of transport. People are still fascinated by it. It's, it's the second biggest purchase that people make after their house. And they there is an, an allure to the car that is often hard to define, but people still love it. It's it's often, uh, it's as much about flashing your bank balance. You can't really boast to the neighbours how much money you make. You're not going to shout about it. But what you saw, what's on your driveway will often tell whether you're doing well or, do, or not doing well. And that has an element of it. There's a... There's a, a certain uh, bravura about owning cars as well. Um, and there's a fascination about driving and the skill element to it as well. That's happened. That's there. there, there We've got to remember back to the whole thing about the, the, the 1%. There's still a sizable 1% with a lot of cash, and the rich have got richer in the back of the recession, and the economists will tell you all that anyway. They've got the money to spend, and for them, the status symbol element of cars and supercars is still very very relevant and very important, and uh, they build up those collections. These cars are all selling. I mean, when we're talking about... The Bugatti. I mean, that, even that Porsche Cayman GT4, beautiful car, 2,000 across the world. That That's already snapped up. So the car was launched in Geneva on Monday night at, at a big Volkswagen event. Um, and by Wednesday, as I sit here, that car has been sold out. And who's buying the Middle East, China? It's across the board. The It'll be uh, the American market is huge for them. The Americans uh, will probably be the strongest. The Middle East is, is always strong for cars. Um, uh, the Chinese are huge. And that premium end of the market is really... America's number one for premium sales, um, but China should be. Premium market segment represents 10% of the overall car volume, but 50% of the profit. So that's why you're seeing a rush out of the mainstream markets and so many of the brands. At, at Geneva, Citroen, which is part of the PSA group, Citroen then sell a, used to sell a model called the DS, and they've reintroduced the DS. They're now breaking the DS off. So the Citroen, they'll be, within PSA, there'll be Peugeot, there'll be Citroen and DS. And DS's uh, a job over the next 15-year plan is to pursue, to become the new Lexus, to become the new BMW and new Audi. Right, okay. And any any of the models on display, any of them specifically customised for rich customers or oh, any yeah. of them with diamonds in the doors? or Not so much the diamonds in the doors, but you can be guaranteed when... Uh the right sheik walks into the walks into the uh, the showroom, and if he wants his Lamborghini with diamonds on it, he'll get diamonds on it. I mean, the, you talk to some of the guys who work at that level, and they're saying, you know, you can bespoke anything. You know, uh, the Rolls Royce they they deal with customers who come in and want the same wood veneer and the same uh, sheen on it as they do on the floor of their yacht on the dashboard of their um, of their rolls and they'll do it and they go off and they, they match it up and, and they've got veneer guys working especially down in Plymouth who will match that up they want the same cut of the hide on their seat on their uh, seats that they have in, the, in their their fields there was one guy I remember hearing about who had a herd of cattle who, who got a, uh, basically his entire sofa and settees done with his herd of cattle and wanted his car uh, dashboard and trim and seating to be done from his own herd and that's what you do if you've got the money they'll do it for you yeah you sure know. absolutely okay great thank you Michael at Irish Life we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow they don't have a pension plan we can help you help them because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life September 2014.
We'll uh, move to Barcelona now, where Pamela Noonan is reporting for the Irish Times on the Mobile World Congress. Pamela, thanks for joining the show. I understand that some 90,000 people are attending the Congress. Uh, what exactly is going on? Yes, there is. So it's one of the biggest kind of mobile technology conferences of the year. All the big firms are represented. There's Samsung, IBM, Intel, LG, Huawei, HTC, you name it. Uh, there's more than 4,000 press here and 2,000 exhibitors, and they'll all be taking part in the four-day conference. And what's new? What's new? Well, Samsung has unveiled the Samsung Galaxy S6, a new smartphone. It has wireless charging, so no longer do you need to plug in your phone with a cord. It can just charge wireless. And it also signed a partnership with IKEA, who are going to develop furniture with wireless charging capabilities. So you can just put your phone on a bedside table or, or next to a lamp, and it will charge. And what else is new is that well, our companies have moved on to bikes. So Ford unveils two type electric bikes, and they have sensors, and they can your heart rate when the cycling is coming a bit too much of an effort for you the electric bike will kick in and it'll just cycle for you and also uh, Volvo and Ericsson have teamed up to do a uh, helmet for cyclists and the helmet will like vibrate and alert them when a car is going to like pass them out or approaching them plane, so it's kind of better for safety what else is new is there's a lot of smart watches uh, LG have several smartwatches, one of which can unlock a car as long as it's an Audi. So you just tap the watch near the car and it can lock it or unlock it. There's also connected luggage, which has GPS tracking in it. So if the airline loses your bag, you'll never lose it. You'll always be able to pinpoint the GPS location and you can lock and unlock the phone, the luggage with your phone. Right, and there's been some Irish representation there. I think two companies in particular, Brightbill and Fishtree, is that right? Yeah, but there's more than 30 Irish companies um, exhibiting here and taking part in the conference, and some of them have a very big deal. Uh, Brightbill announced a multi-million deal with US Elko Sprint, and Brightbill are kind of an online billing management service. So they are going to handle all the bills for Sprint, which has 56 million subscribers in America. And then Fishtree, which is an online learning platform, they announced a $3 million funding round. So they raised $3 million of capital, and they're going to use that for expansion into America. And actually, both companies are going to beef up their jobs in Ireland. Fishtree is going to double its workforce over the next uh, 18 to 24 months. Brightbill is going to add 100 new jobs and already has 65 employees. And from what you've seen, what's the, uh, what, what's the coolest gadget that you've seen in your few days there, Pamela? Um, I, I like connected luggage a lot. I also liked a tennis racket, a smart tennis racket, and it had sensors built into it. And I could tell uh, where the ball, if it's hit on the tennis racket, whether you back that curve, uh, forehand, how hard you hit the tennis ball, whether you were spinning, so it helps you improve your game. Um, and I saw the kind of smart watches, uh, smartphones as well. Now, there was a motor show going on in Geneva around the same time, um, but there was a big presence of the car manufacturers 
in Barcelona, Pamela Wozner. I mean, uh, is there an argument maybe perhaps that these two events should merge in some way? Are you asking me that, sorry? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I think it's nearly like an automotive show. There's loads of cars on display here. And funnily, a lot of companies that aren't traditionally associated with cars displaying cars. So Visa has at their, or a car at their stand, and the credit company has teamed up with Accenture, and they're going to do a connected car so you can, like, order pizza from your car dashboard hands-free. Okay, great. Thanks for that, Pamela. Okay, that's it for for this week from the Irish Times Business Podcast. My thanks to Michael McAleer and Pamela Noonan for their contributions. Declan Conlon produced the show and JJ Vernon was sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.